Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, two of the biggest stars in movie history duke it out for supremacy in Godzilla vs. Kong. And we've got a review. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. The road to the Oscars continues. This week, I'll review Promising Young Woman. Plus... Prime Video has a super new show. It's called Invincible. Right now, Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people. We don't know why. We need Kong. The world needs him. The fourth movie in the Warner Brothers Monsterverse is out now. It's Godzilla vs. Kong. Godzilla will come for him. They have an ancient rivalry. Godzilla had left us in peace. He's provoked into war. Godzilla vs. Kong follows 2014's Godzilla, 2017's Kong Skull Island, and 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now the inevitable throwdown between Godzilla and Kong. Who bows to who? Nobody gonna stop me. Here we go. Kong bows to no one. And you can't say the movie doesn't deliver on its title. We get a few big fights between the two, each winning a round or two before the end, as you would expect. It is quite a spectacle, and like Man of Steel, which we talked about last week during our DCEU discussion, there are mass human casualties, but the movie doesn't focus on it. This is about the beasts. Even still, there are some things that are super dumb with this movie, like why does the army bother shooting at either of these guys? Guns and missiles do nothing to Godzilla or King Kong. All they do is get good soldiers killed for no reason. And how does no one on Earth yet have a plan to properly destroy them? I mean, I know Godzilla absorbs nuclear energy, so he really is unkillable. But still, for all the money they put into defense against these guys, you'd think they'd have come up with something that can really properly destroy them. But obviously, there are a ton of insane things to nitpick in a movie like this. They're not the point. It is a terrific spectacle. It succeeds on its own terms. Obviously, I'd say, you know, catch it on a big screen if you can. It is made for theaters. But as dumb as it was, and it is dumb, like I say, the, the story is ludicrous. And every half hour or so, they throw something new in, a new twist that made me go, well, okay, I guess we're doing this now. Well, all right. It makes no sense. It's insane, but everything else is, so let's go for it. And there's one near, right near the end uh, that I was just, I laughed out loud and I said, this is beyond ridiculous, even for Godzilla versus King Kong. But uh, I, I guess that there's some history to it or something like that. I hadn't heard of it before, but uh, it, it was, I was like, all right, that makes sense. What is, there's, there's, ways to go and this is one of them why not it was fun to look at uh brett i'm giving godzilla versus kong three couch cushions out of five i had a blast watching this and it was i was pleasantly surprised i think by this because godzilla king of the monsters i found to be just a complete snore fest which defies it defies logic that a movie involving as many giant monsters as that movie had how could that movie be boring if if nothing like it's supposed to be just big silly fun and somehow they managed to make it boring the first godzilla i thought was pretty good it left me a little disappointed but overall i think it's pretty cool and it's a movie that i find i can watch like sort of not over and over but it's a movie i i don't mind watching if it comes on if i happen to be 
see it's on TV and I got nothing else to watch, I'll just put on Godzilla. But I yeah. did rewatch Kong Skull Island this past weekend. That is the best of the first three by far. I love Agreed. that movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that one had it knew what it was, and it had you know sense of humor was a huge part of that movie. And uh, oh, what's his name? Will Ferrell's buddy from Step Brothers. John C. Riley. John C. Riley just like steals the movie in the scenes that he's in, and that's the sort of thing that's really missing from the the Godzilla movies, and even a little bit from this one. But uh, with this one, yeah, I, I liked a that it was an hour and fifty three minutes, so they didn't need they didn't try to mask themselves as some sort of an epic. You know, so many big... Like, the Transformers movies. Michael Bay is making movies about robots that turn into cars or turn into tanks or turn into planes and fly around. They don't need to be two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour, just brutally long <laughs> films. They're just meant to be popcorn... F- couple, Give me a couple of hours of popcorn fun, and then I'm out. And that's what this movie does. So it, it recognizes what it is. And with some of the, the silly plot points in this, they they clearly understand the kind of movie, the kind of story that they're telling here. People just want to see the two monsters duke it out. But they, I was impressed with, even as silly as the story was, I was impressed that they managed to come up with a story that I think really made sense. It was entirely plausible in this monster verse where these gigantic monsters exist and it was super entertaining the visual effects were flawless and i know we've seen so many movies now where cities are just leveled like marvel's the avengers was one of the first ones where we really saw a city get destroyed and uh, then there was man of steel where Superman and General Zod laid waste to metropolis by the way some nerds have figured out that the approximate cost of the destruction in Avengers was 160 billion. So then they ramped it up for Man of Steel. That was 700 billion dollars. Uh, I can't seem to find any cost destroyed, like uh, estimated costs for Pacific Rim. That's the one where they build the the giant. Uh, All right, they, they kaiju have, walls. Yeah, the the kaiju are the monsters, and the oh the Jaegers, the the big oh, yeah, right. the, the, the big robot Jaegers. Uh, who knows how many billions of dollars of damage were caused in those movies. And I'm sure someone will figure out how much damage was caused to Hong Kong and Godzilla versus Kong. But uh, this was good. And it, in the end, it doesn't really matter which team you're on, whether you're on Team Godzilla or Team Kong. I was sort of disappointed in in the reasoning behind Godzilla's his quest to 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 battle king kong i was sort of hoping there would be something a little bit more because he's been pretty much portrayed as kind of a hero in the past but in this he's almost a villain i can't really explain anything further without going into more detail um but i i think you know you might say well the i and i have said the plot doesn't matter but in in this particular case part of the fun is just seeing how the the silly reasons they come up with or the creative science they come up with to allow these two beings to come together. So I I really, really enjoyed this. I wish I could have seen it on a big screen, but the 65-inch TV filled in pretty nicely. So I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five, I think. And I, and I do think that once this comes out on 4K Blu-ray, this is going to be a must for my collection, because I think this might be the kind of movie that I could just put on at any time. You know, when I'm trying, when I can't decide what I want to watch, but I just want to watch something fun, something mindless. Godzilla versus Kong 
is going in the player. So, yeah, I dig it, man. Right on. I, I would say probably 10 or 12 times throughout the movie, I just, I said out loud, you deserve to die to one of the human characters. <laughs> I was doing something ridiculous, like, you know, getting within half a mile of any of the, either one of these things. It's just insane. It's like, why are you there? Why don't you turn around and run away as fast as you can? Also worth noting that uh, there was nothing during the credits. There was nothing after the credits. Or was there anything yeah. during the credits? I don't think no. there was. No, I don't think there was. There's an awesome needle drop right at the end, but that's it. A needle drop? The music they play at the end. Oh, okay. I didn't. I think it I turned it off. Playing there, guy. How? I think I turned I'm it off. You turned oh, you turned it off too soon? Or, or maybe I just oh, no, didn't no, notice. No, no. no, I must have noticed because I waited until the end. But I, yeah. I clearly just wasn't paying attention. So, pardon me. Um, so I don't know what the the plans are for the future of the MonsterVerse, but it looks like they are still talking about doing more of these movies. But if they were to wrap it at this, I would be, I think, okay with no more MonsterVerse movies because I don't really know where else they go with this. Yeah, it works, works well how they ended it. I, I would stay pat right now too. All right, so Jeff gives it three couch cushions out of five. I give it four couch cushions out of five. Godzilla versus Kong. It's $25 for the rental. We got to watch it through a screener. Thank you very much, Warner Brothers, for that. But I would pay the 25 bucks to rent this because if I were to go to a movie theater, I would be spending $25 on my movie ticket and my popcorn and my drink. I'd probably be spending closer to $30 when it's all said and done. So I know it's not the same as the big screen experience, but... It's to, especially if you're watching it with more than one person, like if you're watching it with your family. Uh, oh, just very quickly, uh, for kids, do you think it's okay for kids? Uh, some of it might be a little intense, but I think in, not like the littlest kids, but like 10 and above, no problem. Yeah, for sure. Even if I, when I was eight, if my parents told me as an eight-year-old I couldn't watch Godzilla vs. Kong, there would be problems in that house. But you're right, for the littlest kids, maybe not so much. There is some pretty savage violence, of course. It's giant monsters trying to murder each other in horribly violent ways. So, And speaking of horrible violence, we're going to tell you about a show... Well, I mentioned it at the, off the top, Invincible on Prime, uh, coming up in two segments from now. That's a crazy violent show. In our next segment, Jeff is going back to the Oscars. The road to the best picture continues. Details right away. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And as we continue the countdown to the Oscars later this month, I saw Best Picture nominee, Promising Young Woman this week, starring Carrie Mulligan. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, can you call me a cab? A nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. Holy, I thought that you were really drunk. Yeah. I'm not. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? You must want something. Every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? Promising young woman. Rated R. This one is kind of complicated to talk about for a couple of reasons, mostly because of the subject matter of the movie, which is sexual assault, and also because the ending has proven controversial to some degree and certainly warrants discussion, but it's too spoilery, so we won't really cover that. We will tread lightly into a promising young woman. 
Carrie Mulligan, one of my favorite actresses since she started a movie called An Education in 2009, plays Cassie in this, a 30-year-old who dropped out of medical school, moved back in with her parents, and now works in a coffee shop. That's how we see her at the very beginning. On weekends, though, like we heard in the clip, she goes to clubs, pretends to be blackout drunk, and inevitably, when a nice guy volunteers to take her home, he tries to take advantage of her. That's when she snaps out of her act, much to the surprise of the guy. It's her way of exacting revenge for something horrible in her past, the whole story of which is slowly revealed throughout the movie. It's her general revenge on men who deserve it. She also is suddenly confronted with an opportunity to get very specific revenge on a very specific person. And those are the broad strokes of the story. They do not do the movie justice. Like many a great movie, you kind of have to see it to get it, and it's not easy to describe. It bends a few different genres. Besides being a revenge movie, there's also real drama, of course, some very dark comedy and some thriller aspects, all sorts with a sometimes shifting tone. There's also a Tarantino-esque style to everything, and he comes to mind whenever I see a revenge movie because that's been his bread and butter for 20 years now. There is some visual flair. The music is very pointed and dramatically heightened in a way you can't ignore. The movie's also very colorful. The set decoration is very detailed. Every inch of every frame was thought out to the last degree. And a lot of times when you shift tones and genres, it's a recipe for disaster. But when it's done right, it can really work well. The Coen brothers are very good at it. For example, just look at a movie like Fargo. Uh, for some people, of course, the very subject matter itself will make the movie a non-starter, not interested. That, of course, is understandable. Even though the movie does not get too graphic, it does not even use the word sexual assault or rape. And I'm sure it's by design that the film uses a lighter tone and some dark comedy to make the very serious subject matter a little more palatable to audiences. Some things in real life are simply too horrible and heavy to translate directly into a movie. Uh, before I saw the movie, but I'd heard that there was some controversy, I wondered if that maybe you know, that was it. The notion of taking something so serious, but making an entertaining movie out of it, it just won't sit well with everyone. On the other hand, there's also the belief that, you know, making a movie like this does some good because it can open up discussions. And it has, especially the ending, again, which we won't get into. I will say at first I was not on board with the ending, but after thinking about it a bit, I changed my mind. Steven Spielberg went through a similar thing with his movie Schindler's List. There were some people, believe it or not, who thought he pulled back too much, that the movie should have been more graphic to show how truly horrible the Holocaust was. Whereas Spielberg knew he had to walk a bit of a line because at the end of the day, you still need people to be able to, you know, sit and watch a movie and not be sick to their stomachs. Now, he did a fantastic job, but he's also Steven Spielberg and he has 20 years into his career uh, at the time of that movie. Promising Young Woman is written and directed by Emerald Fennell and it's her first movie. She plays Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown, by the way, if you're trying to think of who she is. She navigates this tightrope magnificently. She has pulled off what is truly almost impossible and where many others would attempt and just fail miserably at it. I would suggest she is going to win an Oscar for the screenplay later this month. She's also nominated for Best Director. I would also suggest Carrie Mulligan is going to win an Oscar for Best Actress. She's always good and she carries this movie and you just can't look away. She has a steely gaze that is terrifying and Cassie the character and Carrie the actress have a control and command of their surroundings that is rarely achieved on screen. I was kind of blown away by the performance. The rest of the cast 
It's interesting, like the style and the tone choices, uh, Emerald Fennell casts her movie in a very specific way. Sam Richardson, who plays Richard Spled on Veep, the kid who played McLovin in Superbad, Adam Brody from The O.C., and some others, all guys we know as being sweet and lovable and harmless, cast to prove that the guys who you know insist they're nice guys might not always be telling the truth. And there's some other casting choices that are exactly what you would expect. And then there are some faces that you just always like to see. Clancy Brown shows up. He plays Mulligan's dad. Uh, Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black is her co-worker at the coffee shop. Um, you know, no one ever complains when they enter the frame. They're always great in whatever project they're doing. Overall, it's a really unique movie. I do highly recommend it. It's probably one of the year's most original. It's definitely one of the year's best. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for Promising Young Woman. And it is available to rent night right now, not for the the premium price that new movies like Godzilla versus Kong are going for. This one's uh, it's a regular rental price. I paid seven dollars to rent it this week, Brett. Okay, so of uh, the how many Best Picture nominees have you seen so far? I think I've seen five now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you've got three left. No, I've seen four. Okay, hold on a second. Let me see the list here. I, I still have to watch The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, and Nomadland. So I'm half done. And so far, our promising young woman is the best of them. And Nomadland, I think, comes out mid month on Disney Plus, right? It comes out uh, April 9th. Oh, okay. So next, yeah, uh, basically, later. yeah. All right, yeah. next week. Here we go. Okay. Up next, you you mentioned Clancy Brown. He has a small role in the show that we're going to tell you about in our next segment. Invincible. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I started watching a new show on Prime Video this week, a superhero show for adults. And I'm super excited because it puts a fresh, creative, and unique spin on the superhero story, much like Prime's other show, The Boys, which is also for adults. The main difference, The Boys is live action. This one is animated. But much like the boys, it is amazing. It's called Invincible. I'm scared, Dad. What if I can't do this? Follow me. Slow down. Land. I said land. Stop! Get up. I'm actually getting used to this a little. That's not good. You need to be better. After everything he's done, how can I live up to all that? You need to decide what kind of hero you want to be. Was you in the blue and the yellow? Why don't you meet the team after school? May we count on you in the future? Yeah, I think so. And bored of this. But I promise you, you will not be bored of Invincible. It is about a high school kid named Mark Grayson, who is the son of Omni Man, a powerful superhero, and he's waiting for his superheroes to kick in eventually they do so now he has to train with his dad to be a superhero it is based on a comic book by robert kirkman who also created the walking dead and just like the walking dead invincible is extremely violent like horrifically violent at times 96 percent rating on rotten tomatoes it has an all-star cast mark is voiced by steven yoon who is glenn on the walking dead his dad is jk simmons but the character looks like J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man, so that's a nice touch since Simmons played J. Jonah Jameson. His mom is Sandra O. Oh. The voice cast also includes Walton Goggins, Jillian Jacobs, who was in Community. Correct, Jeff? 
Mm-hmm. That's where I know that name. Okay, yep, absolutely. Uh, Jason Manzukis, Zachary Qu- <laughs> Zachary Quinto, Mark Hamill, Seth Rogen, Mahershala Ali, John Hamm, Lenny James, Jimon Hunsu, and Clancy Brown, to name just a few. It is also very much a tribute to the superheroes that already exist. Like, for example, even the name of the main character, Mark Grayson, that last name is synonymous with Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, later Nightwing in DC Comics. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's a, very much a tribute to superhero shows um, and, and stories. Like, there's a team of superheroes, for example. It's basically a knockoff, a direct knockoff of the Justice League, and they don't even try to pretend that it's not. And, and kind of like the team in The Boys, very much like the Justice League. And this team in... Invincible includes a Superman-ish character. There's a Wonder Woman-style character. There's the Flash. There's an Aquaman-style character. There's a Martian Manhunter and a couple of other ones uh, that are sort of knock, maybe like knockoffs of uh, Marvel characters, but whatever. But Omni-Man is the most powerful of them all. He's actually not on the team. He just lives in this world. He is basically the Superman equivalent and arguably even with more powers than the last son of Krypton. Not everything is so super when it comes to Omni-Man. I'll just leave that there. I'm only two episodes in. Prime released the first three episodes on Friday, and then there's going to be a new episode for the next five Fridays uh, until the show wraps up. They also do something that rarely, if maybe ever, gets done, which is to try to explain some of the physics behind the stuff they do. Like, how do superheroes who can fly, actually change direction in midair. Like, how do they stop? So that stuff is fun. And it's just a really good show with good characters that both celebrates and pokes fun at the superhero genre at the same time. And it tells a super good story. But again, it is mega violent, even though it's a cartoon. Some of the stuff that we see was downright shocking. So prepare yourself for that if you watch it. Some would say the violence is gratuitous, But I think in this particular story, it is necessary because it shows what the heroes are up against when the bad guy is as powerful as he is. And it's also just shocking because we're not used to this kind of stuff in superhero stories. So again, fresh. It's a fresh take. It's unique. And it is definitely not for little kids. So be aware of that. I will very much enjoy watching Invincible over the coming weeks. Again, it's on Prime. You put this show on my radar, Jeff. I didn't even know it existed. You mentioned it. Uh, are you going to watch it anytime soon? No, because of the mega violence that you mentioned, <laughs> even though it is a cartoon. And I knew that about it, but I'd heard that it was good, but that it was, you know, like the still image I saw was like a guy with blood dripping all over out of his face or whatever. So I thought, eh, maybe Brett would be more interested in this than I am. And I know you're into superhero stuff a little bit more than I am as well. So I just... uh Yeah, put it on your radar, like you said, and I'm glad I did. Okay, well, I appreciate it very much uh, because I I don't know how I didn't hear of this, but there are so many shows out there. How can you possibly keep track of all of them? Also on the superhero news front, the first full trailer arrived this week for DC's The Suicide Squad, which is a follow-up of sorts from 2016's Suicide Squad. It's directed by James Gunn, who did the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Here's some of that trailer. Any questions? Hand. Yes, that is your hand. Very good. We're all gonna die. I hope so. Here's the deal. 
we fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. If you cough without covering your mouth. Harley, although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. It isn't clear if this movie is a sequel or a reboot or its own standalone story. We've actually had conflicting you know, descriptions from the studio, from the director. Gunn has said, though, his movie will not contradict the first movie. And it does have some returning characters, like Margot Robbie is back as Harley Quinn. But it's mostly new characters. Idris Elba is in the cast now, along with John Cena as a guy named The Peacemaker. He might actually be getting a spinoff TV series. I can't believe it's been five years since that first one came out. I haven't even seen the first one. Warner Brothers sends us Blu-rays. Do you? Did they send this to us, Jeff? Um, I don't know. I don't have it. I know that. <laughs> I do have Birds of Prey, but I don't have the first one. I don't think. I don't think they were sending us Blu-rays at that time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and if they if they did, maybe I've got it. <laughs> I just haven't bothered watching it. I don't know because it got lousy reviews, so I wasn't never compelled to watch it. Uh, but yeah. I also haven't seen the follow-up Birds of Prey, which, from what I remember, did get very good reviews. I should get on those. Warner doesn't really like to put too many of their uh, DC movies on streaming. I think Birds of Prey is on one of the streamers, but I got to watch Suicide Squad Suicide Squad first. I have to watch it in order. So there we go. Suicide Squad trailer is out. It looks cool. Hopefully it's better than the first one. And hopefully I'll have seen the first one by the time it makes its debut. Uh, this new one makes its debut in August. Uh, we got to move though from uh, superheroes to Star Wars. Why don't we start with yours, Jeff, because exciting news regarding uh, one of their upcoming series. A new Star Wars show about to begin production. It's the Obi-Wan Kenobi show starring Ewan McGregor. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy this and not join them! Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness! The Disney Plus show will begin shooting this month, April, and Hayden Christensen will be back as well. That clip we heard was the last time those two were together. Christensen's Anakin Skywalker, of course, would become Darth Vader immediately afterwards as he received quite the dicing from Obi-Wan. The show is set 10 years later, and honestly, I'm most curious about how they're going to depict Darth Vader. Like, do we even care that it's Hayden Christensen, who is not my favorite actor? If he has his helmet on and James Earl Jones is doing the voice, does it really matter? who's inside the suit or will they find excuses for him to take his helmet off a lot i think that would be bad i hope they don't do that i think it would also be bad if it's episode after episode of obi-wan outsmarting vader because vader is not dumb but clearly there are limits to what he can do against obi-wan kenobi and other story points involving other people on tatooine because this is you know set before the events of the first Star Wars movie. Uh, speaking of Tatooine, Joel Edgerton and Bonnie P.S. are reprising their prequel roles of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Also joining the cast, Moses Ingram, Kumail Nanjiani, Indira Varma, Rupert Friend, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Sung Kang, Simone Kessel, and Benny Safdie. And I will point out that Kang is the guy who plays the character Han Soul O in the Fast and Furious movies, by the way. So some synergy there. Solo spelt S-E-O-U-L dash O-H. But uh, that was a funny joke in like, was it in like Fast Five or something or Fast Six? I can't remember. I don't remember either. It might have been in the third one. The first one he's in Tokyo Drift. But yeah, it's the same guy. Han's in it. I'm excited that Hayden Christensen is coming back. It's a chance at redemption for him, I think, because he takes a lot of flack for those 
prequels that he was in, but I don't necessarily blame him for that. I mean, even Liam Neeson was stiff in The Phantom Menace. So I think that's all on George Lucas. I think in the hands of a more capable director or a director who wasn't so obsessed with the visual effects as opposed to just telling a good story and getting the most out of his actors, I think Hayden Christensen would have done better. Plus the script for Revenge of the Sith 2 I think was incomplete. There, the, 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 the transition from the good to the dark side wasn't, it just needed like one more scene or one more step, I think, to make it a bit more believable. But uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see how they incorporate his actual acting into the show if he's in costume the whole time and they're using someone else's voice. So that's a good point. I never even thought about that. Uh, But I'm excited nonetheless. I want to see Obi-Wan and Darth Vader go at it again. Uh, Have another showdown. The real lightsaber battle. The lightsaber battle to end all lightsaber battles. Also got to quickly mention on the Star Wars front, exciting news for those waiting for the next series. The official trailer has debuted for the animated series, The Bad Batch. A test is in order. Five enhanced clones. More capable than an army. Yet they exhibit a concerning level of disobedience in disregard for orders. What else you got? Give me more! Our squad's nothing but trouble. But we get the job done. You'll climb Force 99. You know who we are. The Bad Batch makes its debut Tuesday, May 4th, with a 70-minute premiere, followed by new episodes every Friday, starting on May 7th. It follows the elite and experimental clones of the Bad Batch, first introduced in the series The Clone Wars, as they find their way in a rapidly changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of The Clone War. Members of Bad Batch... A unique squad of clones who vary genetically from their brothers in the clone army each possess a singular exceptional skill that makes them extraordinarily effective soldiers and a formidable crew. So this looks exciting. I really wish that I had watched the animated series, The Clone Wars, like the full series, not just the the collection of shorts that were done previously because it uh, has much critical acclaim. But now there are like hundreds of episodes, I think, to get caught up on. And I just don't know where I would commit the time for that. But this is a new show, so I can commit to that if I can start from scratch. Are you going to check this out? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of it now because that sounds actually like something I would enjoy. But uh, who knows? Time will tell. Debuts May 4th on Disney+. Plus. In a moment... Oh, you mentioned Fast and Furious. Well, I know you must be excited about this next movie we're going to tell you about because an exciting trailer for a Guy Ritchie movie came out starring one of Jeff's favorites. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a reunion of sorts as the trailer for the new Guy Ritchie movie was released this week. It's called Wrath of Man and stars Ritchie's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, and Revolver star Jason Statham. Tree has been shook, and it's been shook hard. We've scorched the earth. You started by saying you'd do anything. But what I'm hearing is, you think you've done everything. I can see it's gonna be a long night. It's gotta be an inside job. I can do it in two weeks. 
wish you could do in 20 years. And I do bear a grudge. Now, Revolver, which I don't recall at all, was the last time Statham and Richie teamed up back in 2005. Wrath of Man features Statham as a guy who bears a grudge, who takes a job as an armored car driver so he can get revenge on the people that did him wrong. The trailer is almost entirely him just walking around shooting people. So it's pretty much what you want from Statham and Richie, and it looks like a lot of fun, Brett. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about this. I like Jason Statham and just having Guy Richie attached to it kind of, I think, elevates it just a little bit. Not to suggest that Statham's other action movies are less than, but he has done, he's always been sort of the the B-level action star, right? Yeah. His movies, like the mechanic and the transporter movies, they're fun, but they're not, they're always the movies they sort of put elsewhere in the calendar to fill the holes because they know they're, it's a, it's a pretty simple product. Jason Statham is going to kill and hurt a lot of people and it's going to be fun to yeah. watch and that's the end of it. Um, but until of, of course he joined the, uh, fast and the furious gang. And then he was in, you know, proper quality action movies again for a while, but he was hired for those movies because of what he's done in all those B movies, which is he looks mean and he walks around like a Terminator <laughs> and just gets the job done with fists and guns or whatever it takes. And he's 53 years old, by the way. So good for him. But I, I also, yeah. part of me wishes that he would just do another Guy Ritchie sort of comedy because he was so good in those first yes. two movies you mentioned, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. So I'm sort of wondering if he's just... Okay, I, I can do the action thing right now. I'm not too old yet, so I'm going to cash in while I can. And then maybe when I'm 63, I'll go back to doing comedy. I don't know. I remember after those two first two movies he did, and then he started doing sort of, you know, the garbage movies, being upset because I was like, come on, this guy's like an actually a good actor. Why does he keep doing these junky, you know, action movies that you wouldn't pay money to go see? So that really, you know, bothered me, but he's made a career out of it. And he's, like you said, he's so good at comedy. He's in the Melissa McCarthy movie called Spy. Yeah. He's a small part in that, and he steals that movie. He is so funny in that movie. So, yeah, I, I'm all... You know, and mixing action and comedy, if he's doing that again in this Wrath of Man, this maybe looks like it's more serious than something like Snatch, but who knows? You can not always tell from the trailer. And, you know, there's bound to be some humor in it. So I, I'm, I got my hopes up for this one. And for for the record, not hating on the transporter or the mechanic or anything like that. They're just, no. they're not the A-level action movies. They're not tentpole action movies. They're just uh, sort of sub-level. But hey, that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.